Amen. And good morning again, and we are continuing to look through the book of Acts. We're on chapter 21. If you have a Bible, uh, try to grab it and open it up to Acts chapter 21. We're going to look at verses 3 to 15. Um, And just to remind you, if you haven't been paying attention at all, the book of Acts has been showing us how God has been building his church in in powerful ways. And and most recently, in the last 10 chapters or so, it's been really focusing on the person of Paul, who's been traveling around from city to city, sharing the news of the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, the, The fact that it's through Jesus that you can have life and meaning and, and a relationship with God that satisfies and, and, and that is real. And um, so at this point, if you remember from last week, Paul had come to the point where he feels, as, as he's been traveling around, he feels that, that the Spirit is now leading him to return to Jerusalem. And he said in the last chapter that the Spirit was constraining him to go back to Jerusalem. And even the chapter before that, he said that he had resolved in the Spirit to go back to Jerusalem. So, so in, in some way, Paul really feels like the, that, that the Spirit of God is leading him to go back to Jerusalem. So he's, he's eager to get back to Jerusalem, but he's stopping in different towns along the way and visiting with the disciples. And one of the things that you see here uh, in the beginning of chapter 21 is that in our efforts to do the will of God, it's not always that easy. Um, sometimes it's, it's difficult, and we, and we, and we encounter, often we, re, we encounter real resistance to doing the will of God as Paul seeks to do the will of God in returning to Jerusalem. So, so listen to the word of God as I read from Acts 21, and I'm going to start in verse 3 and go down to verse 15. This is God's word. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands. And said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would uh, work in our hearts by your Spirit this morning, that your Spirit would open our eyes to see your truth here. Father, we pray that you would help us to see Jesus clearly here. Father, we pray that you would help us to see the life that you call us to clearly 
here. And we pray that by your spirit, through your word, that, that, that we would be changed. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, isn't it the best when you're trying to get somewhere and every light that you come to is green? Have you ever experienced that? It's, it's rare. It's very rare. I experienced that just this last week. I was, I was trying to, we, one of our kids, little kids got hurt and I had to take him to the doctor, kind of an emergency situation, and, and I'm driving him to the doctor. Every light we, we came to was either green already or as I was approaching it, it turned green. And I, I just, I never had to even stop. It was amazing. It was amazing. I, I couldn't help but feel like I am doing the Lord's will right now. God is with me. You know, God is, is he's, he's blowing his, his, the wind of his spirit is in my sails and I am just moving. There's nothing stopping me. He is parting the seas for me. I cannot be stopped. And that, that's kind of the sense that we get sometimes. Um, when God is with us, we get green lights. Or maybe put another way, when I'm doing the will of God, I should expect green lights. Everything should go completely smoothly. Uh, all the obstacles should be moved out of my way. I mean, even that passage we read earlier in Proverbs says, you know, if, if we trust in the Lord and lean not on our own understanding, what does he do? He makes our paths straight. Even he's kind of telling us we should maybe expect green lights. A lot of people, when they talk about trying to do the will of the Lord, I, I hear a lot of people talking about open doors. You know, it's, it, God opens doors for us so that we can just walk through nice and easy. Um, that's how I figure out what the will of the Lord is. A lot of people tell me, you know, I, I, if a door closes here, then I look for another open door or at least an open window that I can get out easily. But as you look at chapter 21, one of the things that, that I think has been established in the previous chapters, as I mentioned before, is that, that Paul really feels strongly that the Lord is leading him, that God is leading him to go to Jerusalem. He feels that the Spirit has, has communicated to him to go to Jerusalem. In the, in the previous chapter, again, he says he's constrained by the Spirit. He has no other choice. The Spirit is taking him to Jerusalem. And yet here in, the, in chapter 21, what do we see? We, we don't see all just green lights the whole way. Paul kind of has to fight his way to Jerusalem in different ways. Doing the will of the Lord to get to Jerusalem in Paul's life is, is actually something that is, that is hard. It takes some, some perseverance. It takes some fight to continue doing what God has communicated he wants him to do. And I think it's important for us to think about, you know, Paul had some specific commands from, from Jesus of, of what he wanted him to do. Um, that we don't have those specific, you know, Jesus doesn't appear to us and say, I want you to go tell the Gentiles, you know, uh, about Jesus. And, and we don't necessarily have the Spirit telling us to go to Jerusalem. But, but what does it look like for us to be doing the will of God in our lives? Well, well the primary way is to by, be reading God's Word, to be immersing ourselves in God's Word, to be letting God's words shape our lives and our hearts and our minds in such a way and, and relying on the Spirit of God saying, God, how do you want me to be uh, shaping my life? How do you want me to be loving people? How do, what kind of decisions do you want me to be making? As, and, and these things as they're shaped by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, I think we really can have a sense of God's will for us, His clear will for us. But, but the thing is, as, as we read here, what I want to remind us of is it's not going to be always that easy to do the will of God. Sometimes we're going to have to fight for it. We can't just expect always to have green lights. We can't expect to always have open doors. Sometimes we might have to fight through a door to do the will of God. And so what is it that makes it so hard? What, what, what do we see here that makes it hard to do the will of God for Paul? Well, number one, you see that the will of the Lord can be unpopular. 
the will of the Lord can be unpopular. And in the last couple chapters, as I mentioned, two verses specifically says that Paul resolved in the spirit to go to Jerusalem, and then in chapter 20, the spirit was constraining him to go to Jerusalem. So he has a clear sense that the spirit of God is leading him to go to Jerusalem. That's the will of God for him. And then on his way, what does he do? He stops in these different cities, these different towns, and he, and he spends some time with the disciples. And so even though he feels like the Spirit is telling him to go to Jerusalem, what happens when he st- stops in Tyre and he meets with the disciples there? In verse 4, it says, having sought out the disciples, we stay there for seven days. And then what, what happens? It says, through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And so when I read that, I'm like, whoa, what? Uh, this doesn't make sense to me. It just, just said, just a few verses earlier in chapter 20, it said the Spirit was constraining Paul to go to Jerusalem, and now it seems to say that the Spirit's telling the people to tell Paul to, to not go to Jerusalem. Is the Spirit just contradicting himself completely here in, in, the, in less than a chapter? Is the Spirit saying, telling Paul to do one thing and telling the disciples that, that Paul should do something else? And I, I admit, I read that, and I don't, it, it's confusing to me. It's confusing to me. Through the Spirit, they're telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So whenever I get to a place in the Bible that, that, that's confusing, where I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm not sure what the answer is, I, I always try to keep, keep myself in a place where, where I keep God's Word above me, and I let it tell me how to resolve this conflict, rather than me kind of standing above God's Word and trying to rationalize it and figure it out for myself. So, so if there's no clear answer, then I'm just going to keep reading, Okay. I'm going to keep reading. So we have this sense where the, the people in Tyre, are, are, they, they have the sense of the spirits telling them that, that Paul shouldn't go to Jerusalem, even though Paul feels convinced he should. So Paul keeps moving on. And then it says later in the chapter that he stops in Caesarea. And he stays with Philip. And his daughters are, are prophesying. And then this, this guy, Agabus, this prophet named Agabus, comes down from Judea. And what does Agabus say? He says, clearly, he, said, he quotes the Holy Spirit. He says, Thus says the Holy Spirit in verse 11, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So Agabus, the prophet, quotes the Holy Spirit. And when he quotes the Holy Spirit, does he say, the Holy Spirit says, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem? No, he doesn't. He just kind of fills Paul in on what his life's going to look like when he goes to Jerusalem. But then, what happens? The people hear this, and they apply the words of the Spirit in such a way to say, wait, Paul, no, don't go, don't go, don't go to Jerusalem. In verse 12, when they heard this, we and the people, and that's, this is including Luke, Luke is the one who writes the, 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 the book of Acts, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. They hear the words of the Spirit saying what's awaiting Paul, and they say, no, Paul, you can't go, you can't go, no way, that can't be God's will. That can't be God's will. And, and I, I can only think that since, since the earlier part in Tyre didn't seem to make sense, that, that something maybe similar happened in Tyre. That they got some information from the Spirit that they maybe applied in a way that wasn't consistent with what the Spirit had really already told Paul what to do. And, and, and so the bottom line here is, is the, the way that the people applied it, it God's will, the Spirit's will, was unpopular with them. They, didn't, they, didn't, they wanted to protect Paul. They didn't want to lose Paul. And so the Lord's will was unpopular. And, and I think that's kind of just the basic thing that I want to point out is that if we're, interested in, if we're interested in following the will of God, we need to expect our decisions to be unpopular sometimes, maybe a lot of times. 
need to expect our decisions to be unpopular. We need to expect to be criticized by people, even other Christians, when we pursue God's will. Because, and we're going to talk about this in a few minutes a little bit more, but, but God's values and the world's values conflict with each other. God's values and often our, our sinful heart's values conflict with each other. The world is going to tell us to protect ourselves and preserve ourselves and look out for ourselves. God's will is going to tell us to make ourselves vulnerable and to die for other people and to give up what we want for others. The world is going to, is going to tell us to, when it comes to all of our desires, to just satisfy those desires in any way we can find. If we have a desire, it means that we should satisfy it. And the will of the Lord is for us to, to find our fulfillment in him rather than in trying to find our fulfillment in all of these other things that, that come out of the desires of our hearts. The, the, the will of the, the, the world's desires, the, the world will, will encourage us to, 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 to maybe be silent, to, to not speak up when something is wrong, when we see injustice, when we see someone who's being oppressed. And yet God's will says you need to speak up and fight against injustice. You need to speak up for those who are oppressed. You need to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. You need to fight for those who are weak. And so God's will and the, and the world's values are constantly in conflict. And so when we seek to do the will of God, we, are, we should expect our decisions sometimes to be unpopular with people around us. I think the big reason that, that Paul's pursuit of the Lord's will is unpopular is because, secondly, the will of the Lord can hurt. The will of the Lord can be a painful thing. And it's the thing, like, we, we want life to be painless. Who doesn't want life to be painless? I don't want to experience pain. Pain is something I would love to avoid at all costs if I can. This week was an especially painful week for me, physically. Uh, just real quick, uh, at the beginning of the week, I, I, was, uh, I was stepping across this, this, we have this metal gate at the top of our stairs that keeps our kids from wandering downstairs in the middle of the night, and you kind of step over, step over this metal threshold, and, and I stepped over it and wasn't really paying attention, and I kicked it with my left foot, and I, I, I stubbed my toe, it, it was so, so painful, I was like, I think I might have broke my toe. I might have broke my toe. And, and so I hobble around for the rest of that day. I'm, I'm like limping. The next day, it still hurts, but I, I'm not limping anymore. But, but the, the, the following day, I go out for a walk with our kids, and I take a step up on the curb. At, there's a, there's a, a driveway there, so I'm not thinking I have to step up that high, but I'm right at the edge of the driveway. So my left foot, guess what? I kick the curb with the same toe. And I'm like, it was, it was painful just thinking about it. I hobble around for the rest of the day. I'm in pain. Two days later, I'm in a meeting on a Zoom call in the morning, and, uh, and I realize my phone's about to run out of battery, and I have to run upstairs to get the charger for my phone, and guess what happens? I'm running up the stairs, and I trip, and I kick the stairs with my same foot. And thankfully, I had been put on mute somehow, automatically, when I was going up there. It would have been extremely embarrassing, but I'm, I'm, just like, I'm just like laying on the stairs, just in deep, deep pain. I finally get up, get my charger. The rest of the day goes by. But, but at that same night, I'm in the living room, and I'm talking to Kim, and I say something to her, and then I turn to, go, to like run into the kitchen real quick, and Silas had stood up behind me to give me a high five for some reason, and I kicked his foot with my same toe. I'm like, I was in so much pain. 
I was in so much pain. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm starting to think, you know, as, as this week progressed, with, with my toe just over and over. Just, I've, I've never stubbed the same toe so many times in one week. Starting to think, you know, I, I must be doing something wrong. I must not be in God's will. You know, this can't be part of God's will for me. That, I'm that my toe is experiencing so much pain. And I know that's so, that's so minor compared to a lot of the, the, the pain that a lot of you guys are dealing with. But when we experience pain in our lives, we, sometimes we're, we're tempted to think that this, this can't be part of God's desires for me. I, I must not be doing the right things. But this is the thing. Pain, suffering, is part of the will of God for us. He uses pain and suffering right now. The people of Tyre and Caesarea see Paul and, 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 and that he's going to experience pain in the future. And so what do they say? They say, this can't be God's will, Paul. This can't be God's will. So you shouldn't go to Jerusalem because it's going to be painful. You're going to suffer there. This can't be God's will. Poor Paul. He doesn't have to just deal with the pain and suffering that he's going to experience when he gets to Jerusalem, but it, but it has to be kind of emphasized and exacerbated as, as he deals with the people in Caesarea. And he says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? He has to deal with the pain of the people breaking his heart and trying to keep him from doing the will of God. And so Paul's experiencing pain. And this is the thing. Just because you are experiencing pain right now does not mean that God's will isn't being done in your life. Doing God's will often involves pain. Jesus promised his disciples that they would suffer. He promised them. He promised us that we would face suffering. And, and it is absolutely true that one of the, the big promise that we have to cling to as, as God's children, as, we, as we've trusted in Christ, that, that he's going to return and there will be no more pain. There will come a day when pain is gone. And, and it's true that when God created all things, at the beginning of all things, there was no pain. And pain has been introduced into the world because we have sinned against God. And we have broken his good world. And that is why, why we experience pain. But, but now in the midst of all of this broken world, God uses pain. And he uses it even to accomplish his will in our lives. And in the lives of those around us. I, I don't think that I have to tell moms this morning that God's will involves pain. If you're a mom and, and you love people, children, and you're caring for them, and you're sacrificing for them, and you're serving them, you know what, what it means to experience pain. When they go through pain, when they reject you, you know what it means to experience pain. Um, those who, who are Anybody who's in relationships with other people knows what, it's, what it means to experience pain. When you, when you try to love somebody else, when you love another person who's sinful, you're going to experience pain. Those who are married, they know what it means to, to, to experience pain, to, to try to continue to be faithful in loving your spouse. Those who aren't married, who are single, to, to follow God's will and to live a life of, of integrity and and. and, and Honoring God, it's, it's painful. It's painful to do the will of God in all sorts of different ways. And so we need to, to when we encounter pain, not just immediately think that, that this can't be God's will. This can't be God's will because God's will can hurt. 
But lastly, the will of the Lord binds. When Agabus does this little object lesson for everybody, and, and he does this prophecy, he takes Paul's belt and ties his hands and his feet, and his feet with them, right? I, I kind of wonder as I'm reading this, you know, how did that all really go down? Anybody, any of you guys ever think about that? You know, did Agabus just like walk over to Paul and just forcefully just grab his belt off him? And Paul's like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Or did he just kind of politely just be like, Paul, do you mind if I borrow your belt for a second? And then he does his thing. And he, and he ties, what, what, no matter how he does it, he, he ties up his wrists and he ties up his feet. And he says, Paul, this is what's going to happen to you when you go to Jerusalem. You're going to be bound. You're, you're going you're to be handcuffed. You're going to lose what? Your freedom. You're going to lose your freedom. And that's what it means, actually, to do the will of the Lord. To do the will of the Lord is to, is to surrender my freedom. Because guess what? God's will and my will, they, they never match. Unless the Holy Spirit is really forcing my heart in the right direction. God's will and my will are, are rarely in sync. And so, so to do the will of the Lord is to voluntarily say, God, I'm going to let you tie me up by, the, by your Spirit's desires. It's really interesting that Agabus binds, Paul, binds his hands and his feet to show Paul how he's going to be bound physically, literally, when he goes to Jerusalem. Um, this verse, I've referenced it several times already. Back in chapter 20, when Paul says he's going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, that word, when he says constrained by the Spirit, if you have a Bible, there's a footnote there, and actually the word translated constrained is actually the same word. It's bound in the Spirit. That's what it means to do the will of the Lord, is to, to surrender my will to his, to say, God, I'm not going to do what I want. I'm going to do what you want. I'm going to let your spirit tie me up and dictate how I live, how I think, how I feel. The will of the Lord binds. And so the question then becomes, why? Why? Why would I seek to do the Lord's will if it's unpopular? Why would I seek to do the Lord's will if it's going to be painful? Why would I seek to do the, do the Lord's will if I'm going to lose my freedom, if, I, if, if it's going to mean that I can't do what I want to do? Why is Paul not persuaded to give up on the Lord's will when it's made clear to him that it's going to be painful and it's going to be constricting? And this is the question that, that really confronted me as I'm reading this passage that I think we need to figure out the answer to. Why does the Spirit continually tell Paul that the will of God is going to be so hard and painful? Why is it that the Spirit has told Paul, okay, go to Jerusalem, and then over and over and over again, the Spirit says, Paul, it's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. Why does God do that to him? Is he just torturing him? Is he just torturing him? To tell him to do something and then to continually remind him of how painful it's going to be, how hard it's going to be? I mean, Paul even said it in the last chapter. The Holy Spirit's also been testifying to him that in every city, persecution and imprisonment awaits him. Why does the Holy Spirit continue to remind him of how hard it's going to be? And I, I think there's a couple reasons. There's a couple reasons for this that, that you see as you read the whole Bible, but, but ultimately as you look at this passage, there's a couple reasons um, I think one reason is, is to remind Paul that what he faces as he does the will of the Lord isn't out of the control of God. 
that he, it's, it's all going according to plan. You know, when, when, you're, when you're trying to, uh, with, with a child, I know even, even this last week, uh, Kim was working at getting a splinter out of one of our little kid's hands. And, and as she did that, you know, um, or as she prepared to do that, she, she would warn him about, you know, I'm about to do this, or I'm about to do this, you know. Um, in, in one sense, um, warning Paul what it was going to look like was, was one of the ways that God was saying, don't give up because it's all part of what, what's, what's, what you should expect. It's all part of, of my plan. I'm, I'm going to be with you in the midst of this. I haven't abandoned you. So when you, you, when, when you encounter how difficult it's going to be, when you encounter being bound up, you don't just immediately say, oh, oh, this can't be what God wants. It's all part of God's plan, and he does that to encourage us, to assure us. And so even this, as, 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 as this passage warns us that it's hard to do the will of God, he does this for us so that when it is hard, we don't just be like, oh, this can't be, this can't be it. This can't be what God wants. It helps us to persevere and pursue it. But I think the other reason has to do with what Paul says in, in another letter that he writes to the Philippians. When Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says the goal of his life is to know Jesus. The goal of his life is to know Christ. Because of what Christ has done for him. Paul says the the absolute ultimate priority of my life is to know Jesus. And, and what does that mean? What does that entail? When Paul says in, a chapter, in chapter 3 of Philippians, he says, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. To know Jesus is to know a degree of suffering because that's who Jesus is. He's the suffering servant. That's why he came into our world. Jesus came into our world to suffer. Jesus came into our world to do the will of God perfectly. And, and every step of the way, the will of God for Jesus was hard. It was painful. You know, there, there are some allusions in this chapter of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he goes, but before he goes to the cross, what does he go? He goes and he prays to God the night before he's crucified. And, and he struggles with the will of God. And he says, God, if this is... If this isn't your will, let, let this pass. This is going to be so hard and so painful. But he says, ultimately, but not my will, your will be done. And ultimately, he, he surrenders to the will of God in spite of the fact that it's going to be so hard and painful. That is who Jesus was. Jesus did the will of God, and he suffered on the cross. Why? To demonstrate his love, to, to accomplish his love for us, to... to to draw us to himself, to pay for our sin, to reconcile us to God. And so when we encounter suffering in our lives, it's actually an opportunity, as hard as that is, to recognize it's an opportunity to know Jesus, to know how much Jesus suffered for us, to know what Jesus went through, to love us, to be reminded of Jesus' love and sacrifice for us. And so, as the Spirit tells Paul, go to Jerusalem, and then as the Spirit continually reminds Paul, it's going to be hard, you're going to have to suffer, Paul hears that, I think, as an invitation, as an opportunity to be reminded of how much Jesus loved him, 
to be reminded of the fact that he is one with Jesus. A lot of the New Testament talks about uh, the, 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 the core of being a Christian is being united to Christ, of being one with Christ, being joined to Christ in such a way that, that when we believe in Jesus, then what God sees in us, he, when he looks at us, he sees Jesus because we are one with Jesus. We've been joined to him by believing in him and trusting in him. And so if we're one with Jesus, we have to expect difficulty in doing the will of the Lord. We have to expect suffering. And ultimately, Paul says it clearly right here in verse 13. I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul has come to see that that Jesus, the love of Jesus, who Jesus is, what he has done, it outweighs any suffering he might encounter. It outweighs any difficulty he might encounter in doing the will of the Lord. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. That's the bottom line. Why would we seek to do the will of the Lord? Because Jesus has done so much for us and has loved us so perfectly and has died for us. He is worth it. Knowing him is worth it. Knowing the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings is worth it. And ultimately, in in Philippians 3, it also says, knowing the power of his resurrection is worth it. Let's together seek him and seek to do his will. Taking the opportunity, the invitation to know Jesus, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, and the power of his resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we look at this passage and as we think about your will for our lives, even now, as we think about your will to love those people that you've placed in our lives, your, uh, your will for us to, to, to seek you and to honor you. And Father, we pray that you would help us, no matter how hard it gets to do your will, that we would keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who, who can satisfy us like no one else can, who has loved us like no one else can. Father, we pray that as we, as we keep our eyes on, uh, fixed on Jesus, we would say, take my life. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.